Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun... Oh, North Bay, it's Daxon Jackson. I'm Tom Hull. We got Matt Byrne on the board. We have Greg Pappas in studio. S&P futures down 375. Nasdaq futures up four. Uh, so not much going on today here, but there's stuff going on over in the grains. And we just happen to have a grain expert, <clears throat> grain expert with us now. If you were uh, around years ago, Greg, you could have gone on uh, Channel 26. They had a show. Axe an expert. You could have been axed as an expert. Axe. <laughs> yeah, Axe an expert. We had uh, yesterday, or depending on which time zone you're in, the Russians canceled their. Their grain agreement, and what does that mean exactly? They're threatening to stop all exports, and and they feel they've haven't um, the Ukrainians haven't lived up to the end of their deal, and and that their shipments are not going to go anywhere until the until the world, you know, NATO countries start start recognizing more of their uh, quote rights. So. Um, grains are up, you know, minimally, but but they are up because that's a surprise. Uh, they've been saying they wanted to cancel the deal for months now, and finally they did. So now we've got a little bit of a bump in grain prices. Yeah, just expect more more uh, conflict over well, there. There's an article uh, written by uh, Roxana uh, Yordash. That could be that could be your future ex-wife. Your oh, Roxana. Nice. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what nationality that is, but uh, you're, you can handle just about any na- nationality, can you? Yeah. As long as they're Greek? Definitely. Yeah, well, that's okay. The uh, the first inked in July 2022, the UN brokered Black Sea Grain Initiative has been repeatedly elongated in short increments, like you said, amid increasing discontent from Russia over perceived restrictions that <clears throat> limit the full dispatch of its own grain and fertilizer exports. Fertilizer is huge, too, because, you know, Russia is such a big fertilizer export and nitrogen exporter. Um, that that was, uh, the, in the beginning, you know, that was a much bigger deal than it, the grain, too. Um, evidently, uh, Russian head of state Vladimir Putin, our favorite man, uh, reiterated these complaints over a weekend-long call with South African President Cyril Ramaphosa saying, according to Google Translated Report, that the key objective of supplying grain to countries in need, including those on the African continent, not been achieved under the Black Grain Sea Grain Initiative. The initiative was set up to abate a global food crisis after Moscow launched a full-scale invasion of fellow key grain exporter 
Ukraine. Um, so there. Uh, it was set to lapse on Monday. Um, cease to be at the president. So what does that mean? The, all uh, the ships and all the um, grain and fertilizer exports set to go through Turkey there are not going to go through. They probably won't get insurance. Um, now well, that Turkey, if, if, it's hosp- if it's a hostile relationship, you know that just throws more uh, variables into the equation now. Meaning, not only are they going to find different uh, different partners and different routes, but it's it's hostile, so nobody wants to insure anything if it does go out. So it, it's very complicated when <laughs> when they don't have some kind of agreement brokered through a third party like like Turkey. Um, I, but Turkey controls the Dardanelles. They're not they're not considered international waters. Um, well, they they have control of they have control of uh, <laughs> those those locks and and what goes through there. There's no, so. there's no locks. It's just a straight, right? Uh, the well, they have to be able to stop them. So I'm not sure what it's called, but yeah, I mean they can just stop them because the thing's narrow enough, but it. But why would uh? But Turkey, I think, charges you to go through. Oh I, yeah, I believe. yeah, just like Ukraine charges you to <laughs> Russian to take uh, gas and oil through. It's. I don't. Uh, you know this whole. I don't. Know, I guess I don't. I don't. That know. was part of one of the the Russian complaints with that too. Um, when you have, I don't know, four pipelines, four major pipelines that go through Ukraine, and and the Russians are getting uh, taxed on what they're shipping through Ukraine, and they have. They they weren't so happy about that. Um, so another complaint that they have. I just I, I, this whole concept of uh, of uh, limited warfare, whatever you want to call it, says that Moscow's objection to prolonging the grain deal was com- communicated even before an explosion on the Crimean bridge reported killed two and halted traffic, which Russian-backed officials have called a terrorist attack. How do you have a terrorist attack by somebody you're, you're killing every day? How's, how's that a terrorist attack? I'm yeah, the definitions are <laughs> up to whoever, but that essentially doubles their travel time for all the cargo that was going across there. So if it used to be a, 150 kilometers or whatever, now it's 300. just takes longer well, for how, the how Russian else? military to resupply. How long is it? I mean, does Ukraine have any other way to get grain to market than through that Black Sea? Uh, not really. They they can go. They could do they, a rail to Poland, train, I suppose, yeah. yeah. They could train, but I mean that's, and the trucks and stuff associated with those containers are not cheap. But we'll see. I mean, if the price moves three percent, or I think now it's it might be around four, and it doesn't go anywhere, that just means more of the same in my mind. It's the the people who are really hurt are the the. Asian countries and the African countries that are supposed to get cheaper grain. Yeah, well, it's uh, do you uh, <clears throat> do you ever get do you look at that uh, thing my brother looks at all the time the uh, um, the, inter- the international uh, what is this the cereal or the price is all around the world. He, he gets that thing, you know. Yeah, he, there's there's a few indexes and you can see you can see those you know the creepage, but. In the past year, the the physical has actually come down, so you'll see negative inflation <laughs> in those. But still, the price levels are high enough right. to where you you get worried about what happens when there there are high food prices. Well, he so, used to 
there's one in there where the, is, there's like four columns, and one of them says cereal, which really means all the grain everybody eats. And he, yeah. And he was saying if, it, if that gets over most, most people, is a term, in a lot of these areas, you know, pick a spot. Pick, uh, you know, Egypt, uh, you know, whatever, the spots outside of South Israel and uh, those areas. And the, he says most people are, are lucky to make five bucks a day. So if the price of grain or the price of the cereal goes up over five bucks a day, you basically can't eat. Yeah, and, and uh, the and ones that we look at is is usually a FAO. Yeah, I think that's th- it. The yeah, United that's Nations thing or whatever it is. The food index. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and a uh, food price index. And, the, and uh, the last time we had a well, maybe not the last time, but one of the times that we had a sustained price over that. Wasn't that the Arab Spring where we had, like, revolutions in five countries or something? Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of issues that start happening when you really squeeze people for, for food and, and money. Um, the food price index, say, say I don't know, uh, a year and a half ago was maybe, call it 140, 145. So now if we're at 130, you know, is that a material change? Yeah, but but still compared to 2019 when we were under 100 that's it's not yeah it's not uh it's not that big of a you know we're still squeezing yeah i uh i'm i'm sort of stunned at the uh in in my uh my my my, my great girlfriend audrey you know she's even though she by the way the ladies ever really listen to you i don't, I don't know but, uh, just saying <laughs> careful chief yeah i know um she she just had her uh what you know, keeps her place immaculate and everything. So she has uh, uh, guys come over and they do the carpet cleaning and the and the uh, you know a couple of sofas, right? Anyway, she deduces that it's like forty percent higher than the last time the guy was there. Wow! And I go, Odd, oh, you got this boyfriend that's on the air every day talking about this, <laughs> you know? Um, you know. Anyway, but still, I'm not giving her crap. I really don't because Audrey's the best, but. The fact is, when it actually hits you, you don't realize it. You know, you don't realize that around you, even if all you do is, is buy gas and go to the store and get you know chicken and burger or whatever the hell people buy at the store, uh, those prices have come back down some. They're still not where they were, but they've come down some. But if you look around, all the processed stuff is, is higher by, I'm going to say, 25 30 40%, whatever it is. But everything you think of, if, if you if you do need a new window, if your car breaks, got help if you're in an accident, the the stuff that you don't normally buy that essentially is hanging over your head because someday somewhere you're gonna need a new window, a new roof, you know, a plumber, something, all that stuff be, that that you don't normally do is up virtually the same number. It's and here's something number. interesting: um, when when you think about that, you know, the supply has stayed fairly consistent when you think about the grains you know we've expanded uh for example brazil has had just monster crops and they're projecting another monster crop um in into next year and these are numbers the call it the the bean price and the bean uh the bean yield these are numbers that are 10 15 20 percent higher than you know record years so there's in any normal scenario that would be extremely deflationary where you just you know, supply and last year was was pretty good for for our yields and this year is 
is uh, debatably going to be pretty good. I'm, I mean, USDA has said that uh, the corn crop is going to be it's going to be similar to last year's or bigger. So we're getting we're getting pressures from up above supply side, and still you see, you know, maybe it came off ten percent from all time highs, but it it hasn't materially <laughs> materially helped. Well, we also have the situation where just I mean every, everybody. And I'm sure I do too. You look at the world through your own eyes, right? It's really difficult. You really have to force yourself to put yourself in somebody else's position. You know, as you, as you get older, you realize that you need to because if you want to understand why somebody's thinking the way they are, you have to at least try and understand their background and where they're coming from, right? I mean, if otherwise, you never connect with anybody. But I mean, you were the one who sent me the thing. You, you, uh, that it, good or bad? Well, even though no, this is the I would never have guessed that that the everybody's seeing the corn price and coming down a little bit from a few years ago and they say okay inflation's over but it sure isn't for the farmer because the input prices are still way higher so you sent me the thing that said last year the average grain farmer in Illinois I don't know if it was mean or median prob- probably was mean uh, made 410,000 bucks you know and we're talking about a big area uh, big big 1,500 1,500 uh, acres that's the, that's the normal size yeah that's now, what now, question if you have a 1500 acre farm is that big enough for you to own all your own equipment and all stuff or do you, you still share with guys uh, i don't think so you're you're definitely on some kind of your well maybe maybe if it's a family farm and you've been around and, and you don't have much debt uh you can afford those machines you those machines are bun- north of a quarter of a million dollars and they can you know, run easily. through 1500 acres in a weekend right right if, if you work 24 hours and everything so, so if you got the the big deer or the the big uh case IH machines those those are those are industrial uh, serious shit yeah uh-uh. those those have satellite guidance you can yeah. <laughs> essentially you know you're in there but you could <laughs> these are AI before AI was a yeah yeah so whatever we have in the cars now they had a long time ago and they were using but of course um, you can't really run into anybody out in the field no, but you could screw up. Oh, your, got you. Yeah, <laughs> you don't. You don't. They're not much. You know. Well, the point being is that the, those guys, their inputs, they're they're going to go according to what you send me. They're going to go from four hundred ten thousand year to eighty one, right? Right. Yeah. So, so that and that, that was uh, you know a combination of a lot of good things, and if you put on your hedge as well, and and you you're you're hedging well, meaning who's doing the hedging these days? Uh, Greg, is it the individual? I, I get the, see, we used to get seminars. I get the feeling they're out there on their phone, sometimes slinging uh, bean, soybean futures. I, some guy, I, we used to, uh, back in the early 90s, we were, PTI was 40 to 45% of our business was futures. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, that's not a big part of our business. We had a lot of farmers would come to seminars. Uh, you know, Dan, my brother Dan, president of PTI, traded in the, an options pit for a while. I mean, he knows his stuff. I mean, you talk to him all the time. He knows way right. more than I do about this stuff. Because uh, like anything else, I mean, he digs into it, you know, like like, like a terrier after a bone. He wants to know everything he's, he's doing, he's trading and stuff. Um, but he, uh, we had a lot of individual farmers. They were, you know, pretty good size. We had some that were on the air with us. I, He thinks a lot of that is all just done through the local... Uh, the elevator the can ele- do ele- it. Elevator guys. Yeah, if you work out your your deals with the elevator, they'll go ahead and toss on the futures for themselves. Uh, if you got a good relationship, you say, "Hey, I want to do it here." They say, "All right," and they'll go to the futures markets themselves 
and actually uh, I just saw a, a month or a couple of months ago that more elevators were buying memberships so that really? was interesting yeah co-ops what do you mean so, well what is it you don't really buy a membership now what do you do there's a there's a floor rights thing the, the right stack is the owner. right so you you get the right to um, cheaper commissions we could just come through so, PTI. So you get the you get the lowest commission available. So if you're not a member, you have to pay say a dollar fifty. If you are a member, you pay fifteen cents. <laughs> well, it's a, how about that? The thing of it is, though, that's such a huge contract. Five thousand, uh, yeah, five thousand bushels. But what I'm saying is, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, well, actually, I suppose I am. I'm for higher broker stuff. But the, uh, I mean, we, we've had people that. Uh, we did some stuff for people, and where the hell were they? They were, they were a candy company, and uh, they were, you know, Dan worked with them for a while, and I'm hedging their, their stuff, and their sugar exposure is big. Well, you, you're, uh, I, I think, from what I remember, it's sh- candy's basically two parts sugar, one part cocoa, chocolate. Isn't that sort of the ratio? I would have to consult my uh, consult manufacturer, consult, consult manufacturer friends. Eh? But I mean, but it comes down to uh, this: a pretty good sized company. They used two railroad cars of uh, sugar, sugar, and yeah. one railroad car to cocoa a month. Well, it's, it's three contracts. Yeah. So you know, so if you're talking to somebody, it's not like we don't mind helping people. If you're talking to somebody, what are you, what are you going to charge him for your three hours on the phone? Yeah. The real question is. Um, Individual, yeah. So if if you kind of have a good idea of how far prices move, then you can prepare. Uh, if you don't, well, you know, good luck. Uh, but five, but one one corn contract's basically two hundred fifty acres. Uh, one corn contract, I think of it as as bushels. Yeah. So so it's five thousand bushels. Five thousand bushels, right? Which is twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, but you're doing two hundred two hundred bushels an acre. <laughs> yeah, if you're in Illinois and you're very, yeah. and you're lucky. So, yes. so if, if you, I mean, it's it's a rare farmer that has to do more than a ten lot. Uh, it's you can, or or certainly a twenty five lot. Yeah, twenty twenty five lots a lot, um, and it's and definitely you probably don't want to do everything. Well, it's one hundred twenty five thousand. It's one hundred twenty five thousand bushels. Right. Divided by two hundred an acre. Right. That's a lot. Right. Now, most I would, I would guess most of them don't do it all at once, and you would stagger it out. What I'm saying, what you were saying about the commissions, a buck and a half times twenty-five, it's not very much. To the exchange. Well, to the to the person. If you want to hedge your whole your entire. Well, that's just to the exchange, the broker, and to the. I, okay, and what I'm saying is, is, it's not it's not very much. Yeah, I mean, I know the really exchange is free, playing the volume game. They're not playing. The, I, I get it. I yeah. get it. Plus, there's a lot of people that like to speculate and go and trade it. Yeah, those darn speculators. Well, if there weren't speculators, you wouldn't have the other guys. Uh, if right? there weren't hedgers, you wouldn't have the speculators. Oh, well, that's true. Spe- it's, it's a. Yeah. It's that's the whole idea, correct? Yeah. Um, Duke we, it out. Well, I'll be, I mean, I mean, for those I'm sure that maybe haven't heard, the reason why you have futures exchanges is Kellogg's does not want to be a corn speculator. They want to buy the corn going out, and they want to they want to even out their price or at least solidify their price. So does the farmer; he wants to sell. So does the processor. And so does the processor. Yeah. But they don't all do it in the same day, in the same minute, the same hour. So that's why you need people in the middle to make markets and speculate, right? 
you, ideally you want everybody in the same place right same time yeah in north america that would definitely you know there's big grain exchange here there's a big one in brazil and argentina so but the reason for a market maker is to take because the markets if they're done properly which in my opinion they aren't now uh should be a lot of customer to customer trading and and your when your market maker whatever you want to call them market maker you're a speculator they call them on that side you're there to take to take care of the momentary discrepancies in supply and demand between the real players correct oh you're just just another speculator yeah i don't know market maker whatever you're just just another guy so but in, the, in, the in terms of the average time held, I'd, I'd say the contracts have all gone way down. Uh, you, yeah. you don't see people holding contracts more. They're, they're just kind of uh, trading. Well, the OEX pit where I traded, it somehow the exchange <laughs> let go. I don't because it, because the member firms basically talked them out of their best contract ever. Well, uh, wasn't the VIX the best contract ever? No. The OEX, was, was a, the OEX pit was the second biggest exchange in the world. Pit was. It was it was bigger than the rest of the SIBO. Was bigger than the whole AMX. Was, the only exchange it was bigger was New York Stock Exchange. Hmm. The four hundred people in that pit, both in contracts, notional value, you name it. But the the, the beauty of it was, and I, I think today when people you talk about payment for order flow and preferencing and all that other garbage, it's in the sixty. Oh, I think it was like sixty two percent of all the trades in there were were customer to customer. Can you even remotely think of that happening anywhere today? I doubt it. No. So you got a real straight game when the customers are trading with each other. Most of the time. You'll never see that again. That's a straight game. Hmm. I, I think I just uh, told you something you didn't know. I didn't know that. So what, right now, what do you suppose it is on, on options with the preferencing and on stack with the payment for order flow? I'm going to say customers rarely trade with each other. Uh, very, very rarely, and and if they do, it's probably crossed, and none of the customers want it. It's because the market's moving, and you got a pigeon sitting there, right? And a pigeon is you. I've, I've seen customer. I've seen that happen in that the the broker would say, "I want to do these two. Yeah, I've got both orders. I'm going to cross them, and they have to announce it three times, at least on the great grain floor, and they have to announce it three times uh, before they they cross cross the trades that they have." If I if I'm sitting there and we're not going to fill detail, we only got a couple minutes, seconds here. If if I know that there's a whole bunch of IBM offered at at one thirty three thirty five, guess what? I'm a seller at one thirty three thirty four. Because if I'm wrong, I'm wrong by a penny. If I'm right, I could go my way, right? Right, right. I can turn around, but that's what's called leaning on on a, on, a, on a order, correct? Yeah. When you lean on something, that means you've got a good idea where where the other side is. You get a little bit of in front of them get a little bit of in front of them and if you're right you know great you make four four or five times what you're wrong or, yes or at least two now do you think people that all they care about is, is zero commissions have any idea what we just talked about uh you would hope so but that's the whole game you know if you if you're not paying for it you're you're probably yeah <laughs> the product they're probably leaning on you you're, you're, you're the pigeon <laughs> you, they're probably <laughs> leaning on your order you probably don't get some fills one of the greatest lines ever. There used to be a, t- a table up at first stop way back in the day. These guys would be smoking up there and they were, were goofballs. It was when the futures first started. I think it was the Kansas City <coughs> Exchange, and then the spider or the spoos came right after it. But these guys would have all these phones sitting on the table, and they'd all they'd all dive for the phones and make their futures trades, and they'd all be fighting over the same phone. 
And uh, one one guy, some guy goes, uh, we may be pigeons, but we're not fish. We're not that stupid. That's <laughs> 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 me Futures down five, NASDAQ Futures up three. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Low up big stacks and jacks. I'm Tomorrow Matt Burn on the board. SP futures down five and a quarter. As the futures up four fifty. So not, not much going on here. We got the Dow futures down seventy-two, mostly because of we got Honeywell down a buck. Uh, nothing nothing much here. Uh, matter of fact, that's the only stack in the Dow that's moving more than a dollar 
Uh, we had a big up move in the Dow on Friday because of uh, like Salesforce. It was one of those. No, United Health, I think it was. Uh, so it was, a, it was like a one one stack move. Is uh, is in recall. And Friday Dow was up 113. SP was down five, and Nasdaq was down 25. So we actually leaked a little bit on the close. Uh, futures leaked more than the than the actual market, but. Uh, over in Asia today, we have the Nikkei down 28, call that flat. They've been quiet the last couple of days. Uh, Hang Seng, God, look at this. Uh, actually, the last was on 7.14, which is when? That was Friday. So they're, not, they're not trading today either. Nikkei, Nikkei's not trading today. What's going on over there, uh, uh, Greg? Uh, Shanghai, however, is trading, and they're down 28. That's 0.9%. Um, China's economy grew at 6.3%, Michigan ex expectations. And their their uh, unemployment rate among their young people is still something they can't they can't get down at all. It's still very troubling. Over in Europe, we got the DAX down 74.5 percent, FTSE down 17.2 percent, CAC around down 90. That's a full 1.3 percent. Uh, right Chamont, I don't know I don't know what that is. Do you, Greg? Is down 9 percent, whatever that is. Europe stocks lower as momentum wanes. There you go, wanes. Mm. Uh, bonds down three basis points, 378. Uh, Bund down four basis points, 3.43. Japan up one to 0.48, so we're knocking on the door of that 0.50, which is their allowed top according to their government. Oil down a buck, 74.42. Brent down a buck, 78.85. Natural gas up two cents, 2.56. Arbob down two, six, two, two cents at 2.61. Gold, which had a nice rally last week, uh, but it's down 3.30 today, 19.61. So back up over that 19.50 number. I don't know if it's going to make a run towards 2,000. I would like it to, but I don't. That doesn't mean it will. Uh, silver down 14 cents, 25.05. Copper up down a dime, 3.83. We got Bitcoin down 65, 30,208. It was 31.5 during most of the week last week, so down some. And we have the U.S. dollar, which was getting uh, actually smoked last week. Uh, the euro is still 112, kind of unchanged, and the British pound's almost 131. So. Uh, Greg, if you'd have gone, your beers would have been cheaper over there uh, two weeks ago than they are now. What do you say to that? Yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> dollars, <laughs> dollars as low as it's been in long time, in a couple yeah, of years. Yeah. yeah. What do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? Well, yeah. Good morning, everyone. Currently 6:36 a.m. on July 17th, 2023. Uh, the weather in Chicago currently 66 degrees, a high of 80 degrees later on. Sunny skies today. Though Canadian wildfires have a air quality alert in effect for the northeast corner of Illinois. Uh, AQ index, yep, meaning us. Yes, which uh, which measures micrograms of pollutants per cubic meter. Uh, currently at 105 downtown. Healthy AQI typically is between zero and 50. So yeah, that's uh, worth wearing worth wearing a mask today. Uh, tomorrow, expecting some sunny skies and a high of 79. Down in Phoenix, Arizona, partly cloudy. Currently 94 degrees, a high of 108 degrees later on. Uh, National Weather Service in Phoenix declared an excessive heat warning to stay in effect until this Friday, July 21st. In the MLB yesterday, White Sox beat Braves 8-1. Cubs lose to Red Sox 5-11. And Diamondbacks lost their game against Blue Jays 5-7. Yesterday in tennis, Wimbledon 2023 men's singles wrapped up yesterday. Carlos Alcaraz of Spain played Novak Djokovic of Serbia. Djokovic had the upper hand in the first set, but Alcaraz came back to win the game in the fifth set. So for now, Chief, back to you. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? We do indeed. Um, Good morning, Tom. We Great, hope, Matt. Do you Good morning, morning. morning. We hope you remember some of your legal training this morning, because I'm going to be quizzing your ass. Uh-oh. <laughs> Just saying. I, uh, the 
As you know, I don't. I didn't take any law classes, uh, although I hang around with a bunch of attorneys. Is that good? Oh yeah, it stimulates the mind. It does something? Yeah, it's a good it's start. A, yeah, it's a good start. Eh? A good start on what? An evening, an evening of, of, of murder or mayhem or what? <laughs> anyway, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm digging deeper and deeper, and thank God I have you and Brendan and uh, and Lou are on the show, and, and of course, and Carl knows a bunch of this stuff too. I I should I should know more than I know here, Janet. I'm assuming I'm going to have to assume that Greg and Matt and the rest of the listeners would want to know some of this. I, I I'm torn by how much I don't know regarding the law. I mean, it's... When I say that, I can't figure out who's supposed to be... Who could put uh, suits in? What laws are criminal and what laws aren't? Uh, who gets to sue and or not? Uh, and it seems like ev- the rules keep, seem to be keep changing by the day. Um, so what... what before we, and what I'm going to zero in on is this uh, one regarding the uh, student loan stuff. But, but I have a few questions first, and let's 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 pick one up that I don't think there'll be any debate on. Uh, somewhere back in Dud Day, Dud Day, you, I think it actually been one a Hoover plan and not a Roosevelt plan. But the agriculture, as I've said a zillion times on the show, even though the Roaring Twenties and everybody's estimation was an amazing time and look what was happening in aeronautics look what was happening in cars New York the market everything was you know everybody everybody's on easy street right well that that's absolutely not true uh, the agrarian whole side of the economy which was <clears throat> what probably more than 50 percent easy back then right Jen uh, yeah. was was somewhere hovering between depression and recession probably more toward the recession line uh, and when Roosevelt got into office um, he sent uh, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's well, friend of hers, who knows what kind of friend, but or it doesn't matter, uh, was a uh, journalist, and Henry Hopkins basically plunked her in a car with a driver and a bodyguard and said, drive around, send us letters, let us know how, how bad stuff really is. So you can only imagine bumping along in some old beater on, a, on those dirt roads all around the country back in those days. Not, no AC, no nothing. Uh, anyway, she did. Found that the uh, uh, obviously the people in West Virginia, the coal miners, not only were were poor as church mice, they were uh, they were you know dying of starvation and everything else. And they went down to the uh, the uh, sharecroppers who were in really bad shape. Anyway, there was a program somewhere along the line in here to help the agrarian people, help the farmers out. I don't know if it was the money giveaway, it was some kind of credits, it was something, it was something like that. Jim. But the deal was, if you had sharecroppers, you were supposed to share down. Right, and of course, nobody did. I mean, you know, I, 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 I think a lot of the sharecroppers happen to be African American, but not all. I don't think. I mean, a lot of. Oh no, no. Uh, no. So anyway, they just through some kind of now. Okay, so now here's this this quote law, Jan. Uh, now, so of course, the money doesn't come down, and some people from the north, you know, from the south would would label them do-gooders, went down there and. Uh, and you know, tried to rabble rouse and say, "Hey, these guys aren't giving the money that people are supposed to," and a bunch of them got lynched. You know, uh, and there was no a national statute. No, there was no na- national anti-lynching statute type of thing. Right, but my question is, for if somebody doesn't shove it down, if, if, I, if I'm the farmer and I get it, and I don't give you and Greg squat, now, if if you weren't afraid for your life or whatever, 
if you had the stones to go down to the local sheriff, he's not supposed to arrest me necessarily, is he? I mean, it, it's not that kind of a law. Um, I would have to prop the person would probably have to sue somebody someplace with all the ramifications of that, probably getting shot or whatever the hell it is, hung, you name it. Um, can somebody from the outside, if I see this happening driving through, can, can I file suit on their behalf if I'm not? I mean, who gets to do this, I guess, is my question. Or is it, or is it, uh, that's the whole issue with this student loan thing uh, from this, this kind of a liberal guy wrote this article in CNBC is what I'm talking about. Who, who has a status to sue? I mean, the, the people even on the, on the uh, Harvard case with the Asian people not getting in, they didn't sue, did they? Or, or did they? I mean, who gets it? Did. It was a, a student group of students who had been denied admission. Um, so they had, you know, standing, which is a, you know, legal term um, indicating that you've got, you know, skin in the game, that this is a harm to you, that you can, you can prove happened to you and it's quantifiable or maybe it's not quantifiable if you're not looking for a dollar amount as your remedy um but it, what the supreme court has always you know tried to do since john marshall's time you know they didn't want to be in the business of giving things like advisory opinions to presidents meaning that the president says i've got this situation here i don't know what to do i don't know if i'm going to break the law or the constitution tell me what i should do here and the Supreme Court said, uh-uh, that's not what we're here to do. We, we deal with matters in controversy with real parties. With so, real sounds parties. like a regulator, Jen. If you, ask the, if you ask the FINRA what's the right thing to do, they'll never tell you because they don't. But then as soon as you do it, you did it wrong. Right. Well, I mean, and then then it has to you know, erupt into some kind of litigation where then you get the right to approach a court um, and not have it you know, thrown out because you lack standing. And the, the case in the... You know, the most recent one, the Nebraska, the, the six states, you know, who um, get Biden's, you know, executive, you know, forgiveness of loan program uh, thrown out, uh, had argued in, you know, in the case of Missouri, that their agency for supervising the, the you know, higher education loans in that state was a state entity. It was an instrumentality of the state, is what they argued. It was created by the state. It was, you know, its members were appointed by the legislature. The funding, all this stuff came through the state. So for all intents and purposes, it was a, you know, a party withstanding such that if they were harmed because these fees would be wiped out, if these loans were forgiven, the Missouri, the state would be, you know, harmed by, you know, a loss of these fees. And, you know, the, the dissent written by Eleni Cable... Well, wait a minute, wait a before you go any further on that, just think of that for a second, listeners. <laughs> if I'm not, I have my own opinion. I think Biden overstretched on this, and he could have done it a whole different way. But that's, oh, maybe I'll talk about that in a bit. But the, now, you, you want your state, now you elected these bumps in Virginia, or Missouri, to be your elected officials. And I'm going to have to say, Pick a number, Jan or Greg. How many student loans are in Missouri? 50,000? 40,000? Some number. Those people, even though I think Biden did it wrong, I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with his decision. Uh, you're, the state, rather than having their populace have loans forgiven, 
sues the federal government saying that their group of guys that makes money because they're not forgiven are going to be harmed. They they have the nerve to sue that? How do, maybe now I know why people well, were who lynched. Else, who else would have been in a position, Tom? I mean, anybody who had a student loan was not going to sue if their loan was Well, forgiven. that's my point. Who, get, who gets to... Who gets to do it? I mean, I, the, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know who's supposed. Who, that, that, these are the questions I'm asking. But I don't. Do you think the average Missouri guy is happy that, that Missouri did this? That's like well, saying I don't know. I, mean, I, I would bet you know that all of these you know, executive orders that are playing to people who feel like they've been you know, misused or taken advantage of in the way, you know, the borrowing standards where you know, anybody could borrow any amount of money and you'd be on the hook of it for the rest of your life, including all of your family members. Nobody certainly envisioned that. But when it comes down to, to, to saying there's been some harm done by this sweeping executive order, it isn't that easy, you know, to craft something that's going to, you know, get its day in court and get the kind of result you want unless you can show there's loss overall to the state that whatever the loss is you can't sustain this and satisfy some people whose slate will be wiped clean and you know, they don't have these loans anymore um that isn't there's no harm to those people they're not going to allege they've been harmed so somebody's going to be harmed that's that's the thing with this forgiveness policy you, somebody's going to be left holding the bag <laughs> and the, the question is will it be a bank will it be you know, somebody who invested in, in these things with the expectation that, that they, they would get a, you know, an amortized loan payback at some point. Um, it isn't that easy to do, and you have to be kind of careful how you do it if you want to get some kind of relief. Well, the the thing that, that, that is, uh, is astounding to me here, and I, I've done, I, I spent some time on this this weekend. <laughs> Why, I don't know, because I, I'm so curious on the law part of this. I don't, I don't understand how the COVID relief bill Okay, gave fairly broad powers. All right, now I don't think it gave powers broad enough to, for Biden to do what he did. Okay, so I actually agree with the Supreme Court. So I don't agree with Missouri <laughs> using this as the way to get in the door. I mean, I, I think that's insane. And Roberts is an idiot in, in this regard for letting that through like that. But having said that, well, but about the other, you know the other five justices joined in with him, so he's not the only one. Well, he's not the, no, because I, mean, I can I can tell you how these guys are going to vote every time, which is not the way it's supposed to be. But, but the people that are harmed, that's what I'm getting to, John, in a very clumsy way. The people that are harmed, if it's more than, than should have happened, are all the other taxpayers are going to have to make up it. But the other taxpayers are harmed all the time, every day. We're harmed because they gave the airlines too much money, right? But how, how do yeah. we sue on that? How does, how does somebody walk in and say, hey, you gave United Airlines X number of dollars to keep the pilots on. By the way, they didn't do it. And the bump that runs the place never lost a paycheck. That's the harm. But, but, but you can't do anything there, can you? Well, if you could show that your business suffered you know, loss because you were denied a flight you know, or you your, your, had some kind of disruption in your business activity due to the mishandling of you know, air traffic, let's say, um, and you had enough people it, it situated you know, similarly, you could have a class action suit, you could have all sorts of Yeah, but who, who's going to take that one? Well, I don't know, but it, but it happens every day, that's my point. Things like that happen. Well, but but on the on the side that agree with the decision, and I sort of do because I think I think Biden did a crummy job. But the idea that everybody else in this country got money poured down their throat and this thing, and you would do nothing for student loan people, that somehow or another 
doing anything for student loan people wasn't part of the powers granted in this bill, that's total stupidity, John. I mean, well, there was you know, a lack of plaintiffs there, I guess, because certainly there was enough in the, you know, all the, the executive orders that people like Pritzker and Biden pushed through, depriving people of, of civil liberties, Tom, let's be honest. Oh, I get that. What I'm saying is, where's the attack on those? I don't know. Somebody felt that you know, that was a non-starter, I guess, or they didn't they didn't have the you know the interest in pursuing it, or they, they didn't trust the outcome given the climate of the country. But I, there, there were so many opportunities for people who were you know backed into corners with vaccine well, mandates. Well, so I, I, I get all that. Can I ask you guys a sure. question? Fire so, away. so are the lawmakers saying that? This, this action. Lawmakers harm, are not part of it at all. That's that's or, the whole. That's another well, issue. Well, who who brought the suit? Some states. Right. So the states are saying that their constituents or their businesses lost more money than the the taxpayers, or whoever is whoever got relief experienced. Is Which, that the, well, the I'm, calculus? I'm sure, they, I'm sure they didn't even do that math. Well, yeah, they they the deprivation of, of you know for these states by. Not getting the fees. So there were bigger expected. donors who. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so the people the the state said this is not fair because our companies or our our people are going to lose out more than the than the students are gaining. Well, uh, and they did. I don't think they even have to show that. Yeah, they don't care to disadvantage. How much money do you think, um, Jam? How much money, or Greg? How much money? This actually, Matt, you probably find this. How much money do you think? state of Missouri got during COVID. Right, so if they got a billion dollars or whatever, then they're saying uh, the cancellation of a billion dollars of debt or whatever is going to hurt them more than, than yeah. whatever their constituents. Yeah, it's, it's there, there's the reason or why there's I, just bigger well, The reason why I'm beating up on this stuff is when I was on the board of the SIBO, people can only, they, they can only, most people can only think of people like them. This guy got a loan to go to school. I didn't get one. Now he's not paying it back. Most people, on some level, can deal with that. You start asking them whether Lockheed or United Airlines or somebody else got money. It's it's above their pay grade. They can't even mentally think about it, so they don't worry about it. But John, I mean, when we poured so much money into this system, we, our government, uh, and drove interest rates like to zero. If I'm president. If I care about everybody, which of course these guys don't, I don't want student loan people paying interest during that time period when half of them are out of work. Do you? This is uh, from the Kansas City Beacon, an article by Meg Cunningham. Uh, it says here that uh, Missouri was awarded about $2.7 billion in fiscal recovery funds under the federal COVID relief. Yeah, so they got money. Mm. And this is only for yeah. $44 million or whatever? Well, this is silly. Yeah, well, my, 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 but the point is, is this moral hazard that only seems to apply to somebody other than yourself, right? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the way the world works? But, yeah, am I right or not? Everybody got dough. But I, I would have done something that said, okay, there's, there's no interest to be paid during the COVID emergency. And, oh, by the way, if your income because you're laid off was 50% less uh, over the last two years, just like they did to businesses, right? So these commercials you see about the employee retention credits and stuff, Say, whatever principal you were scheduled to pay back on your student loan for those two years, cut it in half. So you're going to pay no interest. You're not getting rid of the loan. You're not doing anything like that. But how do they not get an adjustment? Everybody else did. Well, bad lawyering time, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's a case, a, a good case to be made 
um, that with everybody else getting this. But you know, the, the law doesn't really look at that. That's for other people to you know chime in on. They're not going to really listen to arguments and say, "Look at all these poor college students who were mistreated by a system here, and we let these other people." off the hook with shoveling money out the door for something else. That doesn't fly, really, in litigation. You're not well, there to I mean, adjudicate everything but, at once. So. But, I mean, you, you could have taken the, the, the COVID law. Okay, the way this thing was, was written. I mean, I didn't read the whole damn thing. But the way this was uh, uh, was written, the they got a chance to do a lot of stuff for everybody. I mean, I, 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 first of all, I totally agree that for them to just say these are all forgiven that that needed to come through Congress. I'm, I'll, I'll I'll say that, but adjustments were made to everybody else all over the damn place, right? PPP. I guess that, maybe that was passed. Was that passed or was that part of the uh, the COVID relief plan? It was all it was you know legislation that was cobbled together at the last minute that nobody had read. So yeah, but I mean I guess for for, for the, the throw to the uh, I would love to see the student loan stuff come back and say, there, John, there's people. That are dead, and, and, and the aunt who co-signed it's in a nursing home, and they're done in her. I mean, we, you know, we need to fix this thing. It doesn't mean you just tell everybody that you're, you're you don't pay back. It I, seems like they're just afraid of setting the precedent that the the government can can uh, cancel anything with. Well, with, they cancel the PPP loans. No, the government can right? can cancel the uh, those were grants. Well, they um, weren't. They were loans, and then if you use them for the right purpose, they got discharged. Right, Jan? Well, yeah, but they were yeah. they were grants from the beginning. I mean, if if you didn't use them the right way, you owe it. Uh, yeah, but they said from the beginning, if you did it this way, it's you know we're not going to ask for the money back. Right, it but, wasn't it, a but loan. It, when you applied, because we did it, when you applied, it was a loan, and then it was the, and then it was discharged. If if with another form, another application. Yeah, but you knew that going in. It's not like well, it was dismissed by the state. There were there were there someone were, else. If if. If we'd have gotten the dough and fired everybody, I guarantee you it would not have been discharged. Right, right. But assuming it's not like with the with the education stuff, you go in and <laughs> you're expected to pay it back. It's with with the PPP, uh, or at least some of the other uh, grants. Like you would go in and saying, "Okay, I'm going to do this." And the the minority case was if if it didn't happen, then they would demand interest. But this. You know, everybody thought that there was a loan, and then the government canceled it. But so, you know what actually happened? Because, uh, like I said, we got a little a little piece, uh, and, and we're every single time, Jen. I mean, you've known me forever. We're we're too honest. Um, when I say that, we were so careful that we just we followed the absolute letter of the law. Now, what happened was I don't know if you guys know this because you know we were kind of on it. Uh, as time went by. It was supposed to be what ninety percent salaries, Jen, something like that. You had to pay. Mm-hmm. It was eighty-five or something. But every everybody, how can I say this politically correctly? Everybody cheated, <laughs> right? So as time went by, they knew nobody could actually fill out the the form to get it discharged properly without lying. So they kept adding more stuff to it. And then it became what ten percent of rent. Then it was twenty percent of rent and ten percent of something else. So if you would have, you know, padded your uh, employee payroll at the beginning, which we didn't do at all. If you'd have done that, as time went by, you essentially got forgiven. I mean, not not totally, but if you would have said my payroll is two hundred grand, and it really was one fifty, you probably made it down as they kept adding rent and other kinds of stuff. 
that you probably got away with getting the 200 taken care of, even though he only paid 150 in salaries. Because it kept creeping, right, Jan? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so essentially they, they took a look at all their constituents and said, we don't want to make criminals out of like 80% of our district. <laughs> How are we going to lower this number? But there, we, they could have done something like that for student loans. I mean, and Kevin's tweeting in that they did do some stuff, but some of the states did. But, I mean, it's this whole thing started. I don't know if you remember. Janner, were you listening? Uh, I don't think you were here, Greg. When Brendan gave us the history of this, that what happened was, was that three doctors got student loans for all their medical school, and, and before, they, right. before they joined the practice, and that, they, because they of declared that, bankruptcy. They can't be bankruptcy now, so, so then the, the Congress totally overreacted, right? Pretty much, John, right? Right. And, uh, and uh, so now you can't discharge it. Bank- but there's people that have been disabled for years and still owe this stuff, right? You're never going to be able to pay it back. Yeah, you know, it's a scandal time on many levels, but I really think that the, the, the thing that is, is so dis, dis, you know discouraging about the whole mess now is because this is why we have such a huge bubble in higher education. There's no way that any college could charge, you know, the going rate today for... Going rate's still going up. Had it, yeah. Had it, had it not been for such a ridiculous policy of throwing money at them, I mean, there was never never any kind of you know, desire. There still isn't, really. I mean, the, certainly not the universities or state universities, whatever. They had no desire to cut costs or to streamline you know, their systems in any way. It was just add to the pile of debt, and they had no sense of what this really meant down the road. They didn't care, nor did the legislatures care. And the, and the people, frankly, who signed on to these loans, you know, at at the rate of you know whatever for undergrad, let alone for professional school tuitions now, which is just astronomical, uh, weren't thinking too clearly either. And there was there were no breaks on the system whatsoever. Nobody wanted any breaks because they were all expecting to to lure more students, you know, with to their state and and add to their you know coffers somehow. All these ridiculous kind of make you know, get-rich-quick schemes, and higher education was the vehicle by which this, this was supposed to happen. And look at the mess we've got. But nobody was minding the store. Nobody nobody wanted to raise this. Well, nobody John, when we come back for break, let's kind of list one of the greatest lines ever. I, I was a janitor at uh, one of the schools down south, and the guy who was my, my boss, great athlete, real bright guy, uh, was African-American gentleman, and he was he was so funny because he had a, he had a teenage son, right? And he tell me all about the foibles of being a dad. <laughs> One of the great lines, he goes, you know, my son thinks he's so slick. <laughs> slick was the term that I don't know what he's doing. I know exactly what he's doing. I was a teenager once myself. He goes, by the way, I was a lot better at it than he is. <laughs> he says to me. <laughs> so I love the term slick. When we come back, you know, let's talk about guys that think they're slick in his, in his education system. Because they're all over the place, John. And like you say, it's a cesspool. SP Features Down 6, SP Features Down 3, be right back. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708 708- 708 
20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. That's 708-349-3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Here's the thing. If you can't spot the sucker in your first half hour at the table, then you are the sucker. Thanks, Dyson Jackson. Time out. Matt Byrne on the board. It was, was pretty good there, man. I like that. Yeah, uh, SP Futures down five, NASDAQ Futures up three, so we got kind of a summer day going here. Yeah. You, but you can see the air, though, man. Summer day oh, sucks. Yeah, it's like you can see the air. It's not probably it's a good It's more thing. like a summer haze out there. See, yeah. you, 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 you young, you youths don't realize how bad the air used to be here all the time. <laughs> you can actually see it coming downtown. Like, remember that Oza, that kind of fog layer? John used to see if you. If you were like uh, up in a building or something, it was like at about the 60th oh. floor of the Hancock or something. The stinky south side town. I know it well. <laughs> well. I remember going running it, and uh, when I worked at Pullman, go running at half uh, halftime, at lunchtime, uh, and ozone alerts. And when I get done, I'm like, God, I'm an idiot. I'm probably doing, I'm probably killing myself. I'm gonna get myself in better shape here. <laughs> anyway, um, my lungs hurt just breathing right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, boy, I, I drove home a, a dude a couple weeks ago, and it was really bad. And he has asthma. Man, I thought the guy was going to croak in the car. I mean, I was like, well, he didn't have his inhaler. I don't, but he, he had, it, it hit him instantly. Today so is one of those days, definitely. Yeah, today yeah. is one of those days. Tough uh, one. So, Jan, I, when you, 
you talk about how deep this goes. And by the way, I uh, I was giving you crap, but I absolutely agree with you. I, how do you how do you stop? I use the term the slickness. How, how do you how do you the people at the University of Illinois? Okay, we 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 the people. Uh, it seemed to have been a, a line of a pretty interesting document one day. Uh, we the people of Illinois have given the University of Illinois a land grant, correct? That's why the term land grant university is. We subsidize it to a, a reasonable extent. Uh, yet the people they put in charge there, maybe to maintain their own salary level and God knows what else, decide to become very slick and decide we're not going to allow very many Illinois people in because the people in Wisconsin and Iowa pay more tuition, we'll accept them instead. And now, China. Pe- and, and, and China and you name it. And wherever else. Yeah. And the people yeah. from Wisconsin feel the same way. And the people from, I mean, I, I know this because my uh, family members are real and tight with Ohio State. And one of your and I, good friends, was uh, involved with the University of Michigan. And the uh, story is, yeah, we're, we're taking more people from Ohio because they pay more. And Ohio said, my, my cousin says, yeah, it used to be that if you could, you know, chew gum and walk across campus without tripping, you got in Ohio State if you're from Ohio, and all of a sudden, no. You know, you're, you're sent out to Ohio Northwest or someplace, and, well, by the way, you can get into Michigan or Michigan State. Okay, so we have a whole bunch of bureaucratic bleeps that have decided if we can up the tuition in Illinois by 30% by doing this, we get more money. Well, Jan, that sucks. I mean, that, that's not their job. That's not, I don't think it's the people from Missouri's job in this particular case to go after this. I agree with you that the ruling I happen to agree with. But I don't think it was... Someone told me that Ohio State admission scores now, you need to get a 32 or 33 yeah, on your ACT. If you're, from, if you're from Ohio, probably. Well, 32 or 33 on your ACT is like, I don't know, Pretty what, damn high. top 5% or something? Well, there's been some bracket creep there. Because, Jan, when we were in high school, it wasn't like 32, 99%. Now I think you got to get higher to get 99%, right? Yeah. And, I mean, and don't expect to get into the school of your dreams with those scores either. No. But I'm saying this is all... The competition, the competition has turned into such a, a rat race that um, you know, unless you have other boxes you can check off, like you know, as, you know, the old affirmative action days, which I think will continue just as they always continued down, you, you can, it doesn't matter what your scores are, probably. And How do you have an acceptance rate, though? Bigger picture, How do you have an acceptance rate of fi- uh, over 50%, but your, your test scores are top 10% or top 5%? That just seems weird. Well, you've got every every you've kid got, now takes the damn test five times and he gets a score up. They all, they all take. Uh, so but, only the top ten percent apply to Ohio State. Uh, you know, I don't know how that works. We have to maybe get Gene back on, but do you know, Jan? I mean, it, it's a, uh, it's, well, I, when we were. I mean, they've gotten now. I mean, these application processes are, are nationwide. You know, recruitment drives really. I think they're they're. It's not like it used to be, where you know the states kind of, you know, attracted their native sons and daughters. Yeah. Now, so anybody that can pay is you know the ACT standard the deviation pool. is five point eight, with the average score being around twenty one. Greg, so, I'll tell you how screwy it was in our day. They would tell you that all the going to like classes to up your scores and the tutoring and all that stuff would tell you that it, none of that stuff worked. Uh, now, 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 <laughs> now, how many kids no. don't have somebody, you know? 
going through every every word that was on the test, the definition, and all that stuff. Every everybody crams for it like like there's no tomorrow, right? Jack? Yeah, this says ninety fifth yeah. percentile. Is what thirty two? Yeah. So that's five. So you're telling me only top five percent applicants like apply there, or all the it's if it's fifty fifty to get in. I I don't know how that and, I don't and know the, how those numbers and you work. need to be top five percent of ACT score like that. that there's something, something there that doesn't some, make some, any yeah, sense. Well, yeah, any sense at all. But whatever. But I mean, I, I uh, not that I was ever in the triple E tap. But one night, one day, there's this lady next to me and. She was in this kind of foul mood, and I said something about, well, you don't seem too happy. <laughs> I mean, she was way younger. I mean, we're not trying to pick her up or anything like that. And she goes, uh, yeah, well, my, you know, I just I didn't get this job I wanted or something, something, or my boss is a bleep, you know, whatever it was. And I said, well, so what do you do? And she says, well, you wouldn't understand what I do. And I said, well, try me. I've read a book without pictures once or twice. And uh, she goes, well, I'm an actuary. I said, I know exactly what you do. You're a mathematician. You work for insurance companies. And you try and figure out how much they should charge and when people are going to die and something. She looks at me and she goes, how do you know that? And I go, well, just... Starting I'm to a, figure I'm, out I'm why old. you didn't get your job. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but she did say that, that out of uh, 12 people in the PhD program, 10 of them were from China. And uh, that's... i got to believe there's people here that want to be actuaries, John. It's a nice job. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what I'm saying, where where is... Way before your time, Greg, maybe you saw it. You ever see a uh, movie called Absence of Malice? I can put that on the homework list. It's a, mm-hmm. It had a... B- bottom line is this. Uh, Sally Field uh, was a reporter, and there was this guy who was the... Uh, uh, district, was he a district attorney, John, or what was he? But he, he was bound and determined. Paul Newman was the son of a big-time gangster, and the old man was dead, and he was bound and determined to find... Paul Newman was really a gangster, right, John? And he, and he kept He's an Irish surname. Yeah, I can't, I'm trying to remember. He kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and Sally Field was covering it. Was absolutely convinced it was going to be her big story when Paul Newman essentially got busted. And Paul Newman knew what they were doing, and all he did was play with them. He just toyed with them. Right. And uh, so finally, at the end of the day, they have this huge meeting, and Wilford Brimley from the member, the manager in the National or yeah. the Natural. Wilford Brimley comes, and he sits there and he goes, okay, what the hell's been going on down here? And he basically, what do you tell the district attorney? When I, when I leave, somebody's head's going to be in my briefcase or something along those lines. But, John, there's no Wilford Brimley. There's nobody that walks into the board at the University of Illinois and says, what have you guys been doing for the last 10 years? This is not what we want you to do. Or is it what they want to do? They'd say, get the hell out of here. We're getting a the whole new The incentives seem to be that. The incentives yeah. is, are there. Right. So. We, we don't want to give you more money. Because we don't have any. It'll, so, by the way, if you can get people from other states in here to pay more tuition, knock yourself out. It must be coming from the top, John. It has to be. Yeah, and the waste, Tom, that's, that's part of this whole you know, structure is just mind-boggling. I was, I was poking around doing some research the other day about you know, state higher ed in, in Illinois. Uh, um, and you know Chicago State University, the South Side. Yep. It's the old successor to the Chicago Teachers College, the Chicago Normal School, all that out, out at 95th and Cottage Grove. Great big campus, you know, state-of-the-art buildings. Isn't that the um, place that used to be on Navy Pier way, way, way back? That was no, so that's UIC. That's um, UIC, yeah. Before, oh, they, before they built, you know, they, they knocked down, you know, Little Italy on the west side. I thought Chicago Teachers um, College was on Navy Pier. It wasn't? Okay, you don't know to me. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that's where I, I grew up my first 
parents, my parents' first apartment, 68th and Wentworth, was right, you know, east of the, the Chicago Teachers College. Okay. Um, no, no, nothing there anymore. But um, anyway, the entering freshman class for Chicago State University, which is a four-year institution and has, you know, graduate programs too, um, I think in 2018 was 78 students. The place is big. It's huge. Yeah. But, you know, this tells me this. Don't, don't there's, they have a varsity football team now? How many or faculty do you yeah, need well, for 78 yeah. students? I get, yeah, they do. And they, and they got a gym, gym and, you know, you know, fraternities. You know, it's got all the, of the trappings of big institution, but they can't get anybody to go to it. Uh, the fact that this place stays open with those kind of recruitment numbers is, is just ludicrous. I mean, what, what kind of, of, you know, tightly run organization would say this is sustainable it's not another example, Tom. You know, you know when John Marshall Law School, you know, which, you know, used to be downtown, a venerable old institution, was, you know, drying up. Its enrollment was tanking. Its tuition had skyrocketed. Instead of closing the thing down, which would have been the smart thing for any business to do, I think, and just get you know their student body situated in other places. What happens? University of Illinois at Chicago creates its own law school and it absorbs John Marshall, kit and caboodle, real estate, you know, tenured faculty, pension fund, is they're now part of the UICs. Really? <laughs> that that to me is just like first we need fewer law schools these days, not not more. And if the ones who can't keep afloat it should be closed. There's no reason to to penalize the taxpayer by keeping them open. But we've got such phenomenal waste in, in, in this over expansion of the, you know, the college industry which is not really giving people anything back like what it's supposed to except you know a big tab that they're going to have to pay down the road and hope gets forgiven by some future president but we've, we've got the worst one of the worst track records when it comes to building a system out of nothing and not caring that it doesn't well, serve. What do, you, what do you suppose, Dan, of all the stuff we've been talking about in the last 10 minutes, if you took all the people who, uh, let's say, tried to go to Illinois and ended up at Wisconsin at 40 grand instead of Illinois at 20, same way in Michigan, same way at Ohio State, if you were to add up, I'm going to say, I've done some research on this, the difference is about 20 grand, right? 18, yeah. something like that. So all those all those happenings, and I'm going to say in the last 20 years, 30 years, it's got to be 100,000 kids, right? Oh sure. So if you're talking about 20 grand difference a year, it's 80 G. Let's say instead of it's 80 G for one year at Northwestern. No, I'm saying to, I'm talking about the people who couldn't get into Illinois, got to go to Indiana, or got to go to Iowa. They just just that kind of game. North, Northwestern, Notre Dame, those kind of guys are their, their own cats, which has, I have problems with them too, but not. But I'm saying if you were to take the 80 grand, say, which might be a little high, but take the 80 grand times the amount of kids that that, uh, that, that meant, say, it's 100,000. Okay, so what's 20 grand times 100,000, Greg? Uh, add that. Add the zero. You have to, have to assume that a big chunk of that money was borrowed. We just, we just created. <laughs> The student loan debt crisis by doing that, or not? Cre we created some percentage of it, correct? Right. Because I mean, most families, I would bet, even today, have probably a fighting chance of paying for an education at, at Illinois, but you're not going to do it at Michigan, out of state. 
I don't think any family can do that unless you've really been saving from day one or something. It's a massive difference. 20, 20 grand a year difference? For God's sake. I mean, my, my, my niece, uh, by the way, my niece, a g- good thing. Uh, my grand, my nephew's daughter is my, is my grandniece, Jen. I asked you that yesterday. Yeah, grandniece. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to St. Barnabas yesterday, and there were four uh, kids. One wasn't a kid anymore. Well, he's two and a half. Uh, we're baptized. Priest did a great job. Uh, very proud of my clan. Uh, the little one is, is such a character. She just takes it all in. Doesn't matter what the guy's doing to her. She's looking to see what everybody else is doing. Uh, anyway, it was very my niece, who was the godmother, terrific young lady. Uh, she applied to Illinois. This is a long time ago. I didn't get in. Wisconsin was happy to take her. And my, and my brother had a pony up for Wisconsin, which he did. Uh, was way more. And the best part was her junior year she spent in Italy because she flew in Italian. Uh, so she gets over to Italy, and it turns out it's the University of Indiana program. Well, at the time, Illinois and Indiana had a, uh, you know, whatever, some kind of relationship where if you went to Indiana, it was the same price as going to Illinois. I don't, I'm not so sure they have that anymore, John, but I don't, for a few years they did. So my brother calls, and he says, Hey, <laughs> it seems to me this is an Indiana program. You bumps in Wisconsin. Why am I paying the Wisconsin premium if it's an Indiana program? You want your daughter in school? That's what you're paying. Okay, you know, <laughs> no break whatsoever. I mean, th- these are these are people who are supposed to be working for us. I don't think they are, Jen. I mean, the state doesn't want to come up with the money. I, I think that. In a, I mean, my next question is how do how do we, how do we break this bubble? How do you how do you break the hospital the combinations there? How do you break this stuff and are we going to have to, is the government going to have to, quote, get in the business? When I say get in the business, should they offer 50 more chunks of land to other people who want to start a university and do it cheaper? Now, how else can you do it? I mean, I mean, you and I are not going to put together something that competes with the stranglehold Northwestern or UIC or University of Chicago has in the medical stuff around here. Is the government going to have to do it? Are they going to offer, have to offer property to somebody who says, if you want to put up a clinic, you're... Charges people real prices will help you. I don't. I can't imagine that happening. But somehow this has to happen, Jen. The student, you and I know the problem with the student loan debt is because you threw too much money, and all these, and you got all these crazy rules about getting out of it bankruptcy-wise. They charge too much interest, and the child colleges charge way too much money. Right. That's that's the bottom line. Correct. And they misspend it shamelessly, Tom. Yeah. You know, one of this model now is so baked into tradition that I think the only thing that's going to you know, change anything is that people just stop going to college en masse. Um, you've got so many people who were given degrees and, you know, with credentials, whatever their you know, program you know, was supposed to give them, they got it. But they come out from these places and they can't use those skills. So what do they do to keep you know, themselves afloat financially? They go back and teach part-time at institutions like the ones that sold them on getting this degree in the first place. And you've got places like U of I that are so poorly run scheduling-wise that they are pretty frank telling parents, your son or daughter is going to, you know, it's going to take them five years to get a bachelor's degree out of here just because the classes are so full. Well, you know, that would be one thing that's bad enough. But when you got your son and daughter being taught freshman year by adjuncts, you know, if you take their combined salaries for freshman year, it doesn't come close probably to one-tenth of what you're charging these people. People oh yeah, for yeah. the education that they're not getting. So th- that that model, I just don't. I don't see any 
way around that. There's there's such a surplus of people who are overtrained and can't get the jobs, either tenure teaching jobs, full-time jobs, whatever, that they hope for. And they're now bouncing around from place to place, you know, teaching adjunct courses at adjunct salaries with no benefits or no expectation of being rehired or anything else. Uh, and the engine just keeps chugging along. And you know, what's going to change it? Only if, the, if everybody stops applying to colleges. Well, what I mean, but why? How much of the fault lies in, I'll say, law firms that if we get a kid out of Harvard or the Ivy League, we can we can charge six hundred dollars an hour for the guy for the guy day one, guy or lady, uh, and, and get away with it, even if the guy's an idiot or the lady. Or I mean, or I mean, how much difference is there? If somebody went to I mean, you and I went to Notre Dame, so it's but when we went there, it wasn't like it is now. It was three grand a year. But if somebody goes to College of DuPage, takes accounting business the first couple of years, does well, does another two years at DePaul or University of Illinois down in Indiana or in Champaign or someplace, and he comes out with a degree, even Northern, which has a really nice uh, accounting program. Uh, I mean, how much different is that person as an employee than somebody who ponied up all this money and goes like to Indiana or someplace or uh, you know, Penn State or even one of these. Other. I got to believe that you know the, the lawyer that comes out of uh, you know DePaul, he's not necessarily that much dumber than the guy that comes out of Harvard, is he? You know, I mean, or is, is he at all? Well, I would, I would, I mean, I'm a DePaul grad, so maybe I'm bragging here, but I, I, w- I would say they're smarter town for the Harvard grad. <laughs> there you go. I hate to say it, I mean, but but it, the system is so you know tilted. You know, if you really want. If you if you could stand working for a top flight law firm that only goes to, you know, the, the Ivy League for its recruiting or summer associates, uh, you're already beaten if you haven't gone to one of those schools. So you could you kiss those jobs goodbye. They're just not for you. They're not for people like you. Um, and uh, unfortunately, now there's just there's been such a shakeout for lawyers. It doesn't really matter where you go unless you've got some kind of setup. Where you got family connections, or you're independently wealthy, and you don't care where you work, you're going to look long and hard to find a job that you can make money at, or and be happy at, and survive at. Um, and I think the, the scales are tipped against most people. It doesn't matter where you went to law school. One of our and then, uh, then you look at you know, the, the way the court system, Tom. I mean, all of this is just self-perpetuating. Um, the best thing about it, having Amy Comey Barrett on the court is that she didn't come through this Ivy League mill that seems to be a prerequisite now for getting you know a chance at a Supreme Court you know position. Um, well, there's that the people that are going to get the, the they're going to get the congressional summer jobs. They're going to get the Supreme Court summer jobs, and it's but I what one of our uh, well, Greg and I, one of our mutual friends, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, well, he went to he was a, a triple Loyola star, undergrad business and law school. And he is absolutely convinced. I think you know he could be nuts, but uh, he's absolutely convinced. Like with his kids, if you don't get them into something where there's a prestige effort a name, you're doing them a disservice. Hmm. That somehow or another. Well, that, if you're paying for it, that's yeah. That, well, but I'm saying you're doing yourself a disservice. He's saying if, if you well, but if he's if you're not if you're not going to go to you know Michigan or even Notre Dame, he puts maybe not top top tier, but one of the top two tiers either. Either the Ivy League group or the next group down, which he which he continues to be like Michigan, Vanderbilt, Notre Dame, those kinds of places. So if you're if you're not getting your kid in one of those places, you're doing them a disservice. Is it that bad? Is he right? Yeah. I can't. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, Tommy, this is the way that people have, have sort of been trained, and I guess they've learned their lessons well. If you don't have that kind of institution on your resume, it doesn't matter even what grades you got while you were there, but if you didn't get into the place, um, you've got so many strikes against you at so many levels now um, that it, it probably is, you know, doing your, your child a disservice to let them go to such a place with no name recognition. I, this is what the real horror of this whole thing is. It isn't like you're getting a better education at those places. I don't, I don't think you're getting as good of an education, frankly. But it's, it's become this, this class-conscious, you know, mark of the beast or whatever yeah. if you did go to one of those It's always things. been a messaging and, thing. It's, well, mean, you do get, I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of, a, there is a, a little symbol. bit of camaraderie. Um, I would say that our group at Notre Dame, the people we met and stuck together. Uh, I believe you're called the Domers. Yeah, but we, but we could have done that elsewhere. I mean, uh, uh, Matt Weber's wife, uh, Jill, went to Iowa. I'm going to say her Iowa clan is at least as, as tight as we are, John. Uh, oh, sure. The, the experience, Tom, I've no, you know, I don't mean to bash anybody's you know, ability to have a, a, you know, a, a good time and make close friends and learn a lot about yourself and everything else in the process at a lot of these institutions. But they're, they're just, they're not, you know, fancy enough. They don't carry enough name recognition or, or cachet for, for totally Don't have $10 reasons. billion dollar endowments. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. the lady here works uh, in our she works for NFO. She went to Wisconsin. Her, her circle of friends, one of them's nicer and smarter than the next. I mean, I... I guess if 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 you want to, you can make any of these places happen for you. I think you know, but uh, I mean, what what is what happens if somebody comes out of Wisconsin law school and goes to Kirkland and Ellis? Are they are they in the back back seat, back row, or what? Well, they're not at the front. You know, I think it's. Um, I, I don't think they'll be at Kirkland and Ellis unless they know somebody there. <laughs> oh. They, you know, the, the thing that really bothers me, and I, I think this is so hard on, on young people, we're, we're already kind of getting beat up, I think, today by these disillusioning experiences. But they're, they're really set up in a way that for, for a long time, people Southside Chicago, people, your urban backgrounds, whatever, not from the East Coast, have had no shot at the Ivy League. Not that you even want to be there necessarily. But as a result, you know, places that you could get into maybe 50, 60 years ago that are now pretty much foreclosed to you. It's it's increased the ability of places like Notre Dame and Wisconsin and other places to tighten their standards, raise their tuition, and be as exclu exclusive as they want to be because they've got not now a lot of qualified applicants that they never saw before because everything at the real top level is foreclosed to an ever large, you know, increasingly big group of, of students who are not connected socially or financially, such that they're going to you know get into those places. So we, we've got this this increasing competitiveness for f ever fewer jobs, well-paying jobs or careers. Yeah, and the whole thing just strikes me as as a you know a system that's, that's doomed to have such unhappiness down the road. Well, John, why people. were we one question left? Well, you're gonna hang around with Nancy, are you? Why? I'll hang, I'll hang around for about fifteen minutes to the end. Thanks. Because we have. And then we have Nancy. One one more question, John, before we go to break. How is it they're not with this with this Harvard case with these Asian uh, people? Why wasn't there? If the Harvard education is so important, and these guys, let's say they ended up going to Wisconsin or Notre Dame or someplace, if it's so important, it's so quantifiable. Why isn't each person saying, 
by not letting me in and me going to these other places now that I'm 35 years old, you owe me a million bucks. Is that, that it should have been you know, 30000 a year plus interest or something. Why, why is there nothing in there that's this massive quantification of the harm? Well, I, th- I don't think that's going to help their case, Tom. It kind of throws dust in the eyes of everybody when you start trying to quantify it, first of all, which is, you know, because you can, you can make money lots of ways. The idea that if you get into one of these places, you are set up so that you know exactly what you can earn, I think that's a, a pretty well-kept secret, although everybody knows it. Well, this, but I don't think that people want that talked about. All right, I lied. Fine, I'm fine. But if, but if if I tried to get in Illinois, all right, and I don't get in, and I end up going Wisconsin, and I and I sue somebody, okay. But the only harm, and you no no, I cannot make a case that Wisconsin's that much worse of a school than Illinois, if at all. The difference oh, is it cost me who twenty. Who knows that it is worse? Time, but right? I'm saying, but the, the difference is it cost me twenty grand more to go there. But now the Harvard case is, I think Harvard is so much better than Wisconsin, Illinois. When you screwed me out of going there and I went to another place, you cost me a lifetime of livelihood. You know, instead of making $40 million over my lifetime, I'm going to make 10. I guess I'm surprised there aren't damages there asked for, whether they're real or not. Well, you know, but the the damages go beyond that. It's, you know, how you compete in the marriage market, or what the marriage market at Harvard is for students. And, and what it means if you go someplace else, and who, who you're not going to have, you know, as a, a potential marriage partner. Just all of this stuff flows from that too, Tom. Just remember, and that's Nan- even hard. Just even remember, harder to quantify. Just remember, Nancy will love this one from the female side of the cake. Uh, Winston Churchill was walking his wife across the street. And the wife starts talking to some guy who was, uh, he, he was like a sewer worker or something. And Churchill says to him, says there, what? what uh, how do you know that guy? She goes, well, I used to date him. And Churchill says, "Well, something about uh, so if you if you'd have married him, he you'd be a wife of a sewer worker." She goes, "No, if I'd have married him, he'd been the, he'd have been the whatever the whatever Churchill was, the <laughs> prime minister." <laughs> so, whichever way you look at it, Nancy, I'm sure would agree with that. <laughs> the, the, the reason why he was a, he was the uh, prime minister is because of her. Maybe she's right. Sure. <laughs> well, Clementine had a lot to do with it, I think. <laughs> now you guys are getting it. Okay. SP Futures down three days. If you just up 10, be right back. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? 
Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lone Wolf Bay, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom. I'm at Burn on the Board. SP Futures down five. NASDAQ Futures up one. So uh, very quiet here this morning so far. Uh, operative word there is uh, so far. Um, because we, we've been ducking on the clothes that were going up on the clothes last week. Uh, we did have every afternoon was up with a mutual fund buying, but now Thursday, Friday was not. So I don't know if that's pa- tapered off a little or whether it's going to start up again this week. Dow Futures down 85. Yeah, the only, I got the only stock in the Dow moving more than a dollar. Well, we got McDonald's up a buck 20, and we've got Honeywell down a buck 03, but a few more reds than uh, green, but nothing, nothing major. Over in Asia, we only got one, one guy open. Uh, Nikkei's last, last trade was Friday. Hang Seng last trade was Friday. Shanghai is open today at around 28 bucks. Uh, the Chinese economy grew 6.3%, which is way less than people were expecting. I, I don't know if you believe any numbers there, but anyway, that's less than the expectators. DAX down 99.6%. FTSE down 21.3%. Can't around getting whacked. Uh, down 102, 1.4%. Rich, rich, rich amount, which I assume is a uh, French company, is down 9%. That's the reason why I guess the, the uh, CAC was down, CAC around. Uh, Friday, Dow was up 113, S&P down 6, I mean 4, NASDAQ down 24. So kind of an inside day on Friday. Uh, bonds today, uh, down 1 basis point, 3.81. One down 4 basis points, 2.43. Japan up 1.48. We've got oil taking a little bit of a hit today, down a buck. Actually, it's at 1.3%, 74.45. Brent down 98 cents. 78.89 natural gas up two cents 256 our bob down two cents 261 we've got gold uh, down six uh steadying right above 1958 uh so higher than it was we almost got below 1900 silver down 19 cents 25 bucks even copper down a dime 382 we've got bitcoin kind of getting whacked here a little bit it's down under down to 30,100 down 174 bucks it was 31.1 most of the last week 
31.5, I mean. Uh, and we have the U.S. dollar uh, pretty much unchanged today. Uh, maybe up a little bit against the British pound, but actually flat against the euro. But we're talking 112 euro, 131 almost pound, where they were 127 and, and 109 for the longest time. So the dollar weakened significantly last week. Now what do you have for us, uh, Trevi Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning. Currently 7.37 a.m. on July 17th, 2023. Uh, traffic in Chicago is an accident inbound on the Kennedy. Left lane blocked before Nagel Avenue. Expect delays up to 10 minutes inbound. Chicago, currently 71 degrees, high of 80 degrees today. Sunny skies, though a smoky day uh, as the Canadian wildfires are definitely back. Uh, we have an air quality alert in effect for the Chicagoland area. Uh, air quality index is currently at 105 downtown. A healthy AQI is typically within 0 to 50. Tomorrow, expecting some sunny skies and a high of 79. Down in Phoenix, Arizona, partly cloudy, 93 degrees currently, a high of 108 degrees later on. National Weather Service has uh, declared a excessive heat warning to stay in effect until this Friday, July 21st. In the MLB yesterday, White Sox beat Braves 8-1, Cubs lose to Red Sox 5-11, and Diamondbacks lost their game against Blue Jays 5-7. And of course, yesterday in tennis, Wimbledon's 2023 men's singles wrapped up. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz of Spain played Novak Djokovic of Serbia. Uh, Djokovic had the upper hand in the first set, but Alcaraz came back to win the game in the fifth set. So for now, Chief, back to you. Nancy, are you with us? I am. How, how are, are you guys? I'm doing fine. Explain to us how come our girls are so good at soccer, but not so hot at tennis. I can't. <laughs> so, I absolutely cannot. I can't either, but we are good at soccer. We do Don't have that. a clue. So what, uh, what's going on in... In, in in your world, uh, your your name has been talked about virtually every day since the last time you ran. With the amount of people that have mortgages a lot lower and uh, are a in pretty good shape with that, or and b they're also kind of trapped with that. Is that uh, you still? Or, or I guess my question is: Are we going to be able to grow our way out of this next three four years, where nobody rocks the boat, we all keep our hand in the boat, and we all come out of this alive, or? Or no? What do you, what's your feeling? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. This is just going to be a... Um, everybody's going to stay where they're at because of the advantage they're getting with this lower rate. And then the other thing that's going to happen is when people, people are still going to need money, they're probably using their credit cards or they're flocking to get lines of credit, all of which leads to a refi or a sale later on down the road. It's just going to take a build-up to get to it. And like you're saying, three or four years from now, that's when it'll all start happening again. What and is, you'll see another another what, boom. What's the going rate for uh, if somebody talk about everything legit? We're not talking about any any, any goofball or anything. Uh, Close the house two years ago. You got the mortgage under four. All of a sudden, uh, baby number two comes along, and boy, you could sure use another uh, bedroom, bathroom. But in the old days, normal world, you'd, you'd sell your house to somebody who just got married with one kid, and you'd, you'd move down the block to the bigger house. Well, that that's not happening now because of the difference in rates. And you decide you want to put the bathroom and bedroom on your place, and it's going to cost you pick a number, hundred grand. What what are people paying for that loan? Um. Well, lines of credit. 
usually run with Prime. Okay. And I think Prime today is about 8%, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Prime is no longer Prime, right? What do you mean Prime is no longer? Well, Prime used to be, when, when I was young, which was a long time ago, was was the, the, the rate a bank gave to their absolute best customers. Like, like Pullman would get Prime. They'd be like six or something. And then somebody else would be, maybe not Pullman, they'd be a six and a quarter. They'd be a quarter over Prime. And somebody's a one over Prime. And some schmuck like me who maybe wanted to do a bridge loan and redoing a Commodore, I might be three over Prime or something. But, but Prime is no longer Prime, right? Or else nobody would get it well, except General well, it's, Motors. It's based on the Wall Street Journal published prime rate and the first right. day of the month. So, um, uh, it, it, prime today is at eight and a quarter. So okay. then your rate may be eight and a quarter plus 0.75, eight and a quarter minus one. I mean, who knows? But you're going to pay. The, the point is, if you're, let's say you're at the top of the end at four. Are you going to pay? Um, you're going to pay double that now for whatever small loan you get in between. If that makes and, sense. And you're saying at some point, if you really need to put a big addition on the place, you you might actually be better off moving and getting a new rate. It's well, actually new rates are what seven. Uh, the new rates. I'm we're, we were we're about half under, so we're about seven. So the new rates are more like seven and a quarter. It's a, you know it always depends, but yeah. So are you better off balancing? You know, yeah. if you've got four hundred thousand at you know four percent, and then you're going to add on fifty, then you're better off staying at the eight and a quarter. I mean, it's because you got to yeah. blend it at that point. But um, I don't think that anybody's going to be moving anytime soon. It's just it's just not going to work. Jan, you have any questions while you're still here? Well, you know, I see for sale signs in greater numbers now in and around me here. Some of the houses do seem to be moving because there's new people in there that I see and I've talked to. Um, one thing I'm, I'm wondering about, and maybe you can help us from your standpoint, do you have any idea how many days a lot of these places are on the market for now, Nancy, before they finally close? You know, I, I I sometimes check that when I'm looking at those things to see how long it's been on the I market mean, and how many price drops there've been. But do you have a sense of how that's trending? Most of the, you know, as long as something is priced to it, priced properly, they're selling within less than a week. If you're not pricing them properly, let's say you're asking for something um, um, that's very that's out of the norm. Let's say your house is really only worth two fifty, and you're asking three. That's just going to sit. That's just going to sit. So, um, there. But still, there are. I agree. There's some more stuff coming up for sa uh, for sale, but not really a lot. I mean, there's just not a lot. It's very low inventory. It's how how I was in a high rise here for a long time downtown and my, my buddies is uh, one of his partners was part owner and he was saying that even in a place like this where people stuck around it was a pretty nice building that the that the turnover rate was like 35% a year I mean where people have a one bedroom have the baby want the two bedroom just even if they didn't leave the building 
they were they they were moving from apartment to apartment. You had a studio, and all of a sudden you got you got the girlfriend. She became a wife. She didn't want to be a studio. It had been one, but there's just there's just normal stuff that happens. Uh, how how truncated? I, I, I'd, when I'd like to be able to ask John for sale signs that are are going up. Are they people that are older that are going to downsize? Are they moving to Arizona? Are they is there a job change? I mean, is is there there's there's reasons why people have to move that they just have to move, right? I mean, you you have babies. I mean, Audrey's last couple people she's dealing with are um, a lady who has a, a a house, and she's dying to get a condo where there's a, you know the doorman and all. Well, that's not necessarily a doorman, but all the stuff's taken care of. She doesn't have to mess with it anymore. And but there that's still no, no matter what, there has to be people that that sort of move around, right? I mean, there's some level. And you're saying that this, because the rate's the way it is, you're really going to squeeze that down to a bare minimum, but it's still, it still has to happen, right? Right. It's always going to happen, don't you think, John? Yeah. One thing I noticed, and you know, I don't know what this is worth, but a lot of the places I see coming on the market near me um, are places that haven't been owner-occupied since I've lived here. You know, there have been investment properties, tenants have come and gone, the buildings have been trashed in some cases um but the the owners are now finally you know getting out and i suspect it will continue to be not owner occupied although i I can't say for sure another thing i noticed is that a lot of the properties i've seen come on the market recently have ones that have been pretty much abandoned looking for up to 10 years you know since the you know, you know, 2012 or whatever. I haven't seen anybody living in these places. You know, really? There's no furniture. There's no no cars in the garage. The lawn occasionally gets mowed, but but it isn't like these are, are, are up and running properties. And all of a sudden, they're coming on the market now and are selling, and maybe they'll be redeemed or, you know, brought back into shape and have you know, a new family living in them. But they're, they're kind of these properties that it doesn't look like people are selling because they're, you know, moving upward or, or you know in, improving their their prospects it's, it's like somebody's investment portfolio is being liquidated or right. somebody is, you know, is going to lose the property for taxes if they don't sell it there's something else going on and i don't know that it's traceable to normal market events like we've seen is that can you without without lying to them i'm not accusing anybody of doing that can you can you ensure a place that's nobody's in it well, I, there's a lot of questions I have about these places now. You know, it's like I, I I haven't investigated a lot of them for the you know, their tax record, um, or their you know whether there's insurance on it, or is there are there any utility bills being paid here? I mean, some of them don't look like they're distressed like you normally see, where there's a sticker from the gas company on the the front door, you know, utility to be shut off for non-payment. You don't see that. But there's nobody in these places either. So I I have not understood. If it's people who have moved out of the country and have left it back in the hands of somebody else to manage or keep minimally, you know, away from the authorities for creating an eyesore or something, but they're not live, being lived in, and there's enough of them to kind of make people neighbors saying, well, "Why are these places like that?" and what's happening to them now? And I don't really have a good answer. The reason why I ask Nance is that uh, again we keep mentioning uh, um, Notre Dame. They had somebody who lived in every building on campus. Maybe it was one person or two people would live there just so they could say it was occupied for the insurance. So, okay. I, so I wonder how, if you have a building that the insurance company knows there's nobody in there, I I, I don't know that they give you insurance, do they? 
this, uh, well, they, they, would, they wouldn't want to insure it, but, and, and certainly they charge you a heck of a lot to write a policy for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. So what? What do you? How can you? How? What's your first sign, uh, Nancy? That things are going to change. We're going to get. I'm. I'm really surprised. I thought these rates would go to six. I'm pretty stunned. They're seven and a quarter. To be honest with you. I mean, that's yeah, a, I think they're going to keep going up. I do too. But it is the the ten year? I'm looking right at it. TNX is three point eight. Isn't the normal? If there is such a thing as normal anymore. Isn't aren't the mortgages supposed to be like one and a half percent over the ten year rate? We're, we're we're pushing three and a half. That's that's a hell of a spread, isn't it? I mean, uh, or am I just being too? Are you uh, saying the ten? What is the, You're saying they're three and a half percent over what the ten, the ten, 10 year? Ten year, yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Well, you know what? It, it's what the market will bear, right? And they haven't made money in a long time, so maybe that's the answer. I, I really don't know. Um, that's a good question. I think I think it's real yeah. high because I, I remember uh, the, I remember ten year rates. Uh, well, we when I was first started trading, I mean, nobody quoted the ten years; they quoted the thirty. But if the thirty was was six, the mortgages were seven. I, you know, I don't. This three and a half is a lot. It's like two separate markets. Is this a sign? Do you think that, that they're tightening their lending standards? I mean, you wouldn't think this would be the result of that necessarily to increase the rates. But is this one way they have? Well, it, it is one way they have, but I think they're trying to get the economy. Um, you know, they're tr they're trying to stop, and they're saying that they're trying to stop inflation. But I, I don't see how this this helps anything because oh. you're taking away the number one thing that people spend their money on. Well, right? I mean, they're, 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 people are listening, or but the Fed is not only talking. I mean, they're doing stuff. So when they put money in the system. They're they're essentially telling people, or, or, or I won't say the younger people, all they just did. They're convinced that somewhere when this is quote all over, whatever that even means, we're going to be back to this one and one and a half or two percent interest rate in the short term, and the, and, the, and we're going to have two percent inflation at most, and so the ten year is going to be you know less than four. I don't I don't buy that at all, and it, and it certainly appears that the mortgage market is not buying that. Nobody's willing to lend. Anybody, thirty-year money, well, the thirty-year rate is three point nine. So you're you're what are you? You're three point three percent over the. So I don't. Nobody's willing to lend anybody mortgage money, saying that twenty years from now the, inf the interest rate is going to be, you know, or the inflation rate is going to be back stay for two for thirty years. They're not believing it, but clearly, you know, I mean, because the. The thirty year is, is in it's there's people overseas buying, there's insurance companies of people that have to buy, so there's this this driven buying in there, but what I'm saying is the spread is is I think historically very high. There's nothing the three of us can do about that. It's just an observation. So Well, it it there is nothing we can do about that. No. And uh, we can't speak to it because we're not we're not in it. I mean, there's nothing we have no control over it. Well, I mean, I guess if I where, where I'm going with this is when you had the, we had the uh, mortgage rate was three and a half, when the mm -hmm. ten year rate was roughly two, correct? Okay. And now the now the ten year rate is roughly uh, four, and mm -hmm. we've gone we've gone from three and a half to seven and a half. So one's up two and the other's up four. 
that's kind of a lot. But well, it is. It is what it is. I mean, it's not like we, like I said, we can't Yeah, change. it's not like we have anything to, to, there's nothing absolutely that we can do about it. Right. So what, what would be your first sign, because you've done this for a while, that all of a sudden things are, quote, normalizing? Would you, you'll have to see the rate You're going to have to see home sales at least become um, uh, reasonably priced. I mean, there's, you have to see more homes for sale. You have to see more people buying. And then you would say, well, okay, people are, you know, it's starting to make sense now, right? They're buying, they want to buy homes, they want to move on. And then you have to find out what's selling it. Like, I mean, in the 90s, everybody wanted just a fixer-upper, right? Right. For the least amount of money they could ever get their hands on. And now, um, you've got people that, you know, only want turnkey. That's it. Well, it, they it's, want it's part of that. that and, well, there's, there's two, I guess there's more than two, but... Um, two reasons why you'd want a turnkey I guess one is you could say you're a millennial guy <clears throat> we, won't, we won't pick on Matt Byrne but you're a millennial guy yep. last thing you want to do is you have to go out and start buying hammers and nails and, and aprons though your carpenter apron you, you just want to move in that's not what you do for a living something simple yeah you keep it simple there's, there's that reason then there's the reason Nance only you would know about is that Matt Byrne's last dime was for his mortgage and the last thing he needs is the the hot water heater to need to paint the kitchen the first day he walks in there. Uh, Correct. So is it a combination of both of those or mostly one? It's, or? A, com- it's, a, com- it's a combination of both. Um, I think uh, because we have really pushed everybody to go to college, 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 there isn't as many people that really know what to do uh, as far as building skills go. What are you saying it's, about Matt? Well, I, I'm just saying, okay, if Matt's on the phone, Matt, how do you feel? I mean, did anyone teach you how to use a hammer, you know, hammer, a saw, oh, definitely. fix a faucet? Oh, definitely. I took classes on that in high school. Okay, really? and, and do you like doing it? Hammer Hitting 101, it was called, yeah. you got to be kidding me. Is that what it was called? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, they could try to keep it simple there, yeah. Um, yeah, so did you learn any? I mean, what did you, did you learn? We all go to school. Did you learn anything? Did in, you, do you truth, know how to build uh, a house? When do I you know how to a, make a room? Do you I, know how to rebottle a bathroom? Well, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't go that far as building rooms, but uh, I can definitely, uh, I can put a nail into a, into a, a board uh, and I can saw some things. Uh, that's about it. Okay. So could you, could you demo a bathroom and put in a new one? I honestly, I'll give you, I'll give you, I could do the floor. I could definitely do the floor, but that's about it. Okay, so then you you, you know, so the the do it yourself thing doesn't mm. really fly here. Mm. Follow but what I'm saying? I mean, if you, unless you know how to paint a cabinet, I don't know. Well, but, well, the, but the, what you're saying, Nancy, with all which I agree with, if you do buy a house today that needs work done, structural decorating, whatever else, you're going to pay some astronomical amount of money for it too, and you you know you're beaten before start. If you buy into that, it, 40, 30, 40 years ago, that wasn't so intimidating to people because there were there were people around who could do these kinds of jobs. Yeah, there were more skilled the place people. Up to snuff. Right. And you know, you didn't have to like you know pay you know through the nose for it. And now, even even the, the smallest kind of repair job, if you get somebody to do it or even give an estimate on it, it's going to cost you twice as much as it did three or four years ago. Well, my roof. My roof and window issues are... Everything. Um, 
that that's a factor I think that has people worried about moving too because they know they're, they're you know they're digging themselves a hole as soon as they buy something that isn't turnkey because well, they here. don't have the kind of money around it to pay for what it needs right because you got to remember the, if you if you put in your last dime right and now you're starting with well I'm going to paint okay that's fine most people can paint whether it's the best job in the world or not it's, you can still make the, the room look different but now you charged all those things that you're going to pay 30% or 29 right right so a, was that really what you wanted to do? Yeah, no. to mention, so, you can spend fifty bucks for a gallon of paint, real easy, now. Yeah, okay, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so you're when getting, did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, that's, that's that's part of the problem. So they're saying there's no inflation, and you're like, what? You know, what? What? Wh where are you living? Because I'd like to see that. You know, because I I see inflation. Um, so it's hard but but here's another example if you have a four percent mortgage for four hundred thousand dollars let's just use that as an example 30 year your payment just principal and interest is 1909 okay the same mortgage let's say you just move and you get your three other bedrooms and all that at seven percent is 2661 that's the difference of 750 bucks a month that's serious money I mean, yeah i mean it's not like it's just a hundred or two hundred dollars and it, that's and after it's, well, it's not after tax. They're saying are now the average car payment is over six hundred dollars a month. So I mean, it just every time you turn around, it gets very, very, very expensive. It's when uh, I'll ask both of you guys. Uh, when when is actually I was talking to the guy across the street from Audrey yesterday. We went to take the dog out. Uh, when is America going to come to the realization? That everything is up thirty-five to forty percent, and when when you run for president, Tom. Well, I just was looking at the. John and I are going to support oh, you. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, and as soon as I get in there, are you going to help me run the place, or are you going to disappear on me? No, no, I'm no. Sit back and watch. We're help you run the place, but then we're going to sharpshoot you. If you need floors done, just give <laughs> me a call, Tom. God. but I, I, I like uh, everybody. Um, our our mutual uh, friend Audrey just got her like her rugs and stuff cleaned. And uh, it was thirty five percent more than it was last time. I said, "Oh, that's that's the number." And then the best part, I don't know if she told you, and she asked the guy who did it. He hasn't gotten a raise. Oh my god! How scary no, we've, is it? We've had, we've had several discussions whether it's even worth keeping the carpet yeah. and having it cleaned versus just going to something else. I mean, yeah. And and it's amazing how you can make a case for going to something else because after two years you've recouped your money. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. But I, I look at this United Airlines deal, and I, I tried to find last night, John. I could not find. I'm not the best Googler. Uh, how long they've not had a contract, or how long they've been fighting? I'm going to say that if if they didn't get, it looks like a real lot of dough, forty percent raise. I'm going to say if they have not gotten a raise in the last two or three years, maybe Matt, you can find that. Hmm. I think they haven't. And now this this contract goes four, so if the number is really six or seven years. Over that period of time, they're going to get a forty percent raise. I'm saying they're behind the ball. They're losing. They're losing. Which, as much as you, you sit there and go, okay, if, if the pilots get a forty percent raise, my airfare price is going up. Uh, it's probably going up anyway, whether they get paid or not. But uh, it's just, I, I, I don't think there's. Nancy brought it up, and I don't know how we, I don't know how you quantify it. 
there's inflation around you that you'll never know until you need it. <laughs> until you need a plumber, right. until you need a, win- a window. You think since the price of gas came down, it'll be the price of chicken, that you're home free. You're not. You're not. And that's the it's problem. A- I mean, we're in a recession, the only problem is it hasn't hit the news yet, so nobody knows. It's just like what you say, Tom. You know, it isn't that there's, you know, greater cost for materials or anything else. No, they they charge more because they can. Well, my my roofer guy and tells me that, he told me that the 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 roll or whatever the hell they put on a flat roof, there's a name for it. it. Used to be ninety bucks a roll. Now it's one hundred and fifty. So I I think those guys have had some stuff. Their supply chain, I won't say it's a supply chain. Their stuff's up. I think. I, I think. I mean, uh, I, I think everyone's supply chain is up because they don't even know if they're ever going to get another shipment. Well, that's well, I mean, we had had some painting done in our place. I went out and I got some brushes, some paint thinners, and a couple of gallons of paint. And I look at the bill; it's like two hundred and fifty bucks. Like for God's sake, we or we, just we, the paint. Well, there's some paint and a few brushes and the tape. The tape's eight bucks a roll. <laughs> you try caulk. Caulk's twelve bucks a, a thing. It used to be six. I mean, and I'm not talking about forty years ago either. I mean, it's it's there. It's it's, and you don't even know how bad it is till you actually have to do something. Right, and that's that's I think why. Okay, so getting back to the original topic, which was turnkey or not turnkey, I I'm thinking that that's why it's turnkey. But yep. then you have to go one step further, which is starting to you're starting to see a little bit of it is that people buy these things that are turnkey, right? Where it was a mess, and now they fixed it up, and they sell it as turnkey. And then they find out underneath it was all garbage that was put in and nothing was really fixed. It's just all for show. Uh, well, that's always a risk. You know, floor looks great. Oops, my, my foot just went through the floor. That's, that's a problem. That's no studs here. No beams here. <laughs> yeah. John, John, thank you, Nancy. And Nancy, give us a shameless plug before you, before you leave. Uh, I work for Mellow Funding. If you need to get a hold of me, my number is 708 341 Nine six zero one, and I really do work with you to get you some uh, loan that fits your needs. Nancy, we tell everybody you're the best. Only when you're not here, though, because they don't want to go to your head when you're here. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. In fact, I actually uh, told the person, one of Odd's people, this weekend, you you don't need me. This is what you need to do. Yeah. Well. Uh, and the woman said, "Well, how do you benefit?" And I said, "I don't. You do. Yeah, you do. I'm telling you the truth." Nancy, hopefully see you soon. John, you as well. SP Futures down two. Nancy Futures up eighteen. Kind of a mixed bag here. Back tomorrow's stocks and jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.